This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Green Chef. Start the new year right by eating healthy and saving money. Green Chef is an organic meal kit delivery service that brings fresh ingredients and easy recipes right to your doorstep. Go to greenchef.com/fool to get $50 off today. It's Tuesday, January 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy New Year, gentlemen. We're still alive in here. Is this the first Market Foolery of 2017? You didn't listen to yesterday's episode with David Kressman giving a preview of the Consumer Electronics Show? I actually didn't. So, no, this is this is episode number two. This of is episode number two. Man. Very good. Well, I, I wasn't sure. It's we were off work yesterday, but apparently someone was in here working. You know what? Very hard. Well, you got to. Or you hardly work. As Taylor said, you got to start 2017 off right. For the dozens. For the Amen. dozens. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. Let's start. With a little news from over the holidays, and and this is uh, Jason, you and I were talking about this earlier this morning. I think this is one of those stories that is um, has much broader implications beyond the company in question. Uh, over the holidays, Shake Shack introduced a gluten free bun option. Uh, this is something they had been testing over the summer. It's going nationwide now. Uh, it costs a dollar more to get a gluten free bun, but um, they they feel pretty good about. The move there, and and we can get to the broader implications in a second. But um, th- this seems like one of those things that you know clearly they've tested it. This seems like a a smart move on a lot of levels. One, just from the standpoint that they get to charge a little bit more, <laughs> but also it's just it's a um, it's a it's another option for people who um, have any kind of gluten intolerance or people who are just looking to reduce the amount of gluten in their life. Yeah, I think that's something that over the past. I guess probably five or so years. It's something that has certainly become more and more prevalent, I think, is not only people who are either gluten intolerant or celiac, but also people who are just looking to alter their diets in some way and feel like that uh, at least moderating their gluten intake could help that. And it seemed like for a while, at least, a lot of people who were not gluten intolerant probably didn't give it too much thought. Thought it was, eh, you know, really. I mean, are you? I mean, it, the fact of the matter is that this is something, right? I mean, celiac disease, gluten intolerance, uh, is something that close to 20 million Americans suffer from in some capacity. So, I mean, to me, this is just straight up good business. I mean, this makes a lot of sense on a lot of levels, and I think, as you mentioned, there's some sort of bigger picture implications there. Um, but but you're either going to be a restaurant that acknowledges that this exists, and you want to be a part of the solution, or you're going to be a restaurant that doesn't really do anything with it either way. And and I think a lot of a lot of folks, at friends that I have who are gluten intolerant, and it's it's tough to go to a restaurant where they can't get anything to eat really, or if they do get something to eat, perhaps it's pre- pre- prepared with something that. You know, has been used to prepare gluten foods. It, it becomes a real issue, and and the fact that Shake Shack is is taking this seemingly small step, but I think it could actually be a very big step for them in that it's probably only going to cost them a little bit more. I don't know that it's really going to affect how they prepare their food. I mean, perhaps they'll need to be a little bit more considerate of utensils that are handled and who's handling what. But but I think generally speaking, this is going to earn more goodwill. From customers um, who either are Shake Shack loyalists or have never been, um, so yeah, I, I, it, to me, it just seems like good business, and, and I, I applaud the move. 
Yeah, I applaud it because they're charging that extra dollar. A lot of places you see that do have gluten-free options don't upcharge, and I, I think you know you might as well because you have to change over your production lines, which costs money. You have to clean the equipment differently, uh, and so that that does have an added cost. And like Jason said, 20 million people. So you're broadening your customer base, and you're charging slightly more um, because I mean, arguably, it is a premium product because it's more expensive than it is to make a normal bun uh, because the ingredients are specialized. So and there are, there are places that do that with pizza as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we can get your gluten-free crust. It's going to be one or two bucks more. But but this gets to the broader point, and it is the, I guess, sort of the, the question around choice, and I think this goes beyond restaurants. I think you can you can throw retailers in there, whether it's apparel retailers or just sort of general retailers. How much choice should you offer your customers? Because. At the end of the day, with particularly with restaurants, throughput is so important, and so you can you can do the right thing in terms of broadening uh, your customer base. But if it's going to have any kind of impact on your throughput, as an investor, I'm I'm sorry, I'm just I applaud you for what you're doing, but I am less interested if it's going to have some sort of impact. And I think that I think that this is something that a lot of Businesses deal with, you know, because there's no shortage of ideas in terms of well, we could offer. The, I mean, take gluten out of this completely. And and uh, Jason, you were here. I don't know if you were here at the time, Taylor, but Jason, I know you were here when we had Jerry Morell, the founder of Five Guys, come to speak here at Fool HQ. I want to yep. say this was maybe 2009, was, yeah, four, 2010, something, something like that. And one of the things he talked about was how they have a very pared down menu. And that is by design, and they've, you know, he's he's had to sort of battle in some cases with his sons. I mean, that is the five guys in Five Guys. It's Jerry Morrell and his sons, and there have been times when they when he's had to say no. You know, we could, yes, I understand why you think we should offer these other things, but this is this is going to affect the way we do business. Part of the reason people like us is because we're streamlined. I don't know. I think I think this is this is a tough line. For a lot of businesses to walk, and I think Shake Shack, Shake Shack was smart in testing this over the summer before they rolled it out. Yeah, and I think for them, there are a lot of reasons why it works. I mean, number one, they have a store base of somewhere in the neighborhood of 105 maybe franchise or total stores, and a number of those are franchised anyway. Um, it, to to your point about the streamlined menu, I think uh, based on our field research not too long ago <laughs> up in New York City. That is a fairly streamlined menu. It's yes. fairly simple to prepare things. So I think for them, they look at this and see, well, there aren't that many moving parts to begin with. And I, I'm no gluten expert. I don't think there is much on their menu that would be heavy in gluten besides the bread products, I, I believe. So if it's something where it's just introducing an additional uh, bread product, then I mean, it takes an already simple menu and just adds one more little dynamic to it. But but it doesn't really make it any more difficult to prepare the item. Um, I, I mean, from a supply management perspective, I mean, maybe it's a bit a bit of a, a head scratcher at times. But I would even argue then, I mean, you're you're going to have a good sort of idea based on your locations. Um, how much demand is there for something like this in any any given store? So I mean, I think I think generally speaking, for restaurants with menus that are very in depth and diverse with a lot of ingredients, it's going to be very difficult to manage. And so I think consequently, you see that for a lot of restaurants where where they just don't have the ability to sort of manage that gluten free option, um, and consequently, 
those with gluten sensitivity don't go there. Uh, but but for for Shake Shack, this does seem like it's a really easy thing to implement. And and like you said, they they've tested this to some degree. Um, probably decided it wasn't really that difficult of a hurdle to clear. And uh, so introducing it only made sense. Do you want a case study of what can happen when your menu gets out of control? Just look at McDonald's. I mean, it's been pairing its yeah. menu back for the past couple of years, and seeing some res- positive results out of that. But prior to that, I mean, they just were going out of control, and the throughput was a huge issue for them. And obviously, this is not a restaurant, but Costco is one of the companies I thought of when I read this story because Jim Sinegal, when he was running Costco for years, was very upfront about the fact that. We're not in the business of offering our members an infinite number of choices. We're going to give you a couple of options on a few different things. And by the way, some of those options have to do with size. You're, you know, and one of the ones that stands out is, um, I think it was around ibuprofen. And I don't remember if it was just sort of a generic ibuprofen or maybe it was Advil, but it was a particular type of bottle that uh, was somewhat square shaped. And they liked it at Costco because they could fit more on the pallet. They could fit more on the shelf. Maximize so they're like, that's the one. So if you want the the 200 tablet bottle, sorry, we don't sell that. We sell this thing. That's it. Well, I mean, think about it, it, it's it's amazing to think about sort of how restaurants cope with this kind of thing. And you're seeing more and more of the restaurants that actually really do care about this. And and they want to maximize their market opportunity and be something for everyone out there. Panera, I think, is another good example of you, you would think Panera Bread. Oh man, I mean, there's probably no way they could really have a gluten-free menu. I mean, bread is in the name of the restaurant. Um, but in fact, if you you can Google this and just go to Panera Bread, um, Panera's website, and and they actually give you a list of the stuff. If you have gluten sensitivities, they say, hey, try these items as is. And they give you a menu of the things that you could get from Panera that don't have any gluten whatsoever. And then they give you even some more selection there of menu items where if you just change one little thing on there, you could add this uh, to to your menu uh, of options as well. Um, So, there are companies out there, I think, that really do feel like this is an opportunity. I agree. I mean, I think it is an opportunity, but it's not going to work for everyone. And if you want to go full gluten at Panera Bread, I think the move there is the macaroni and cheese <laughs> in the bread bowl. <laughs> it's just like all, it's just all the gluten you can take. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address from Thabo Hermanis in South Africa. I've already made my decision, so there are no legal implications in your answer. Already, I'm terrified when I read that. <laughs> legal. Legal. <laughs> the warning up front that there are no legal implications. Buy, sell, or hold Tesla Motors. And he sent some additional context around that. I won't, I won't read the whole thing. It was a very thoughtful note. But Tesla Motors, in the context of, among other things, uh, a new president taking office, uh, Renewable energy being a question or sort of having a question mark against it uh, for the first time in probably eight years or so. Um, And a legitimate, all legitimate questions if you are thinking about investing in Tesla Motors. Uh, Let's just take the question first as is buy, sell, or hold Tesla Motors, Jason. Um, I I don't own Tesla shares. I was gonna say I don't think any of the three of us are sure. You, yeah, you are, I, I'm a, a okay. shareholder. Yep. Yeah, I mean it's it's not that's not by design. It's just not one that was ever just that high up on my list. I would say hold. I I think that if you own shares of Tesla today, I mean for me, there's so many things I like about what this company 
is and what it stands for and the type of thinker that Elon Musk is and his aspirations. I mean, he's just he's like Jeff Bezos, just these super absurd big picture thinkers that just are trying to do things that we just can't even wrap our minds around sometimes. And, and I love everything they stand for in that regard. I think it's it's a difficult company to fully understand after the Solar City acquisition. I mean, there's just a lot of moving parts to it. Even before then. Yeah, before then <laughs> even. The I mean, factory, it, it, the power wall. Yeah, there's just it, it it's in its simplest form, it's a car company. Mm-hmm. But again, we've sort of talked about this evolution of Tesla. Is it a car company? Is it a battery company? Is it an energy company? I mean, really it's all three. And then it's a matter of sort of your time frame there. And I think this is the type of investment that hopefully um, in 20 years, you can look back and say, I'm still a very proud and happy owner of these shares because they've done so much to maybe change um, the transportation industry, the energy industry, uh, just how we think about these types of things around the world in general. I don't think it's a bad idea if you want to add it to your portfolio to buy a few shares now. I don't think it's something that's outrageously priced. I think there are a lot of reasons to feel like it has a bright future. There are a lot of reasons to think there will be plenty of hurdles for the business to clear as well. Um, so I think it's a riskier investment. So I think you position size accordingly. But if I own shares today, I'm keeping them. And if I don't own shares, it's definitely worth entertaining a small position in your portfolio. Taylor, yeah, I definitely agree. I'm holding my shares, um, buying on maybe some significant weakness. Um, the shares have kind of petered along since the Solar City acquisition. People trying to adjust and figure out exactly how that's going to work. I don't think that that's going to be uh, any clarity, significant clarity around that for the time being. But um, to Tabo's original question about you know the changing of the administration, Elon Musk was part of that Silicon Valley panel that was invited to meet with Donald Trump uh, a week or two ago. Um, I think before the holiday season kicked in. Um, and if you add Tesla and SpaceX together, you get about forty-seven, fifty billion dollar market cap. Cisco was the next smallest at 150 billion. So he was invited there, leading two much smaller companies than the rest of the table. And um, have him having Trump's ear or the potential for having Trump or his cabinet's ear um, kind of quells my uh, worry a little bit there. Um, and that, but like we mentioned, the gigafactories up and running to a small percentage of what it, the maximum capacity. They're talking about another one in Europe. Um, Solar City still uncertainty there. But I was a Solar City. Solar City shareholder um, as well, so I, I got my shares rolled into Tesla. Um, so I'm a believer there, um, but like I said, weakness, buy on weakness, and you got to have an iron stomach for this stock at least over the next few years because a lot of volatility involved. But um, I've joked recently, like putting 50% of my money in Amazon and 50% of my money in Tesla, and just seeing which which mad scientist billionaire takes me to the moon and which one loses 50% of my money but uh, the upside on either one of those guys I think is higher than uh, than not I'm not a shareholder but shouldn't they get the gigafactory here in the states up to full capacity <laughs> before they really start talking about one yeah. in Europe They don't have the site I mean, if, it's, if it's just sort of uh, we're t- if it's truly just we're talking about it, that's fine. Yeah. If they, I, I think that would concern me if they were putting any sort of significant resources behind a gigafactory in Europe when the one here really is not where they need it to be. I don't think that they're putting significant resources there. And to your point, yeah, 100% agree because once the one here in the US is completely up and running at 100% capacity, it's going to be able to produce more batteries than than what we're currently producing globally. So um, I'm not too sure if we'll even need a European factory, um, at least not in the near five to ten year term. But um, the foresight there, uh, maybe maybe they're just gearing up for something in the next decade. The Trump factor, and and we've said this before, but whatever 
I mean, we're talking about the, uh, the automotive industry here. But whatever company, if you own shares of any company of a decent size, just be prepared for the fact that at some point in the next four years, <laughs> President Trump is going to say something or tweet something about that company, and that's going to have an effect on that stock. That it's is going to move. Markets. That is going to happen. And Jason, we saw it this morning with uh, with Chevy mm-hmm. and Ford Motor, where yeah. where um, uh, Trump was tweeting tweet about the Chevy the Chevy Cruze, I believe, being made in Mexico and being. Transferred to the U.S. tax-free, and how we need to tax them heavily on yeah. those cross-border transactions. And then it came out that really only like two and a half percent of them are made in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I, and then I, Ford Motor uh, came out right before we started taping, saying, "Oh, that plant we were going to build in Mexico, we're actually going to take half the money, and we're just going <laughs> to revamp. We're going to improve our existing plant in Michigan." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I you can. There's two sides to every coin, right? I mean, I, I think. There's so many things to unpack here. I mean, I think Trump is a total wild card. I mean, I think the thing that drives most people so crazy about him, whether you voted for him or not, is he's just a total wild card. I mean, he can say one thing and then the next day just do the complete opposite. And and if it's one thing he has done here, he has taken this sort of status quo political machine and completely turned it on its head. I mean, he has done everything. I mean, he's he's the George Costanza of Washington, <laughs> D.C. He's just done the opposite, yeah. right? And so far, it seems to be working, um, for him at least. So, I, I guess my point is, when I, when I look at a company like Tesla, I, I would dismiss the Trump factor really completely. Because I think, number one, He's not going to term. He's not going to determine the fate of of a company like this. Mm-hmm. They've already been an anti-establishment. Yeah, so. I mean, his administration is going to be four years or eight years. Mm-hmm. Either way, after that, it's going to be finished. And I think Tesla is a company that's going to going to last for far longer than that. So I, I typically don't like to look at sort of politics as being any kind of a real sort of long term threat or tailwind for that matter. But I just there's so many reasons. Like Tesla is generally speaking a company that is doing things that the overwhelming majority of the world is rooting for. I mean, I think most people are on board with these types of things that they're doing, and we've just not had a a company and a leader um, ever really get out in in sort of lob these sorts of expectations and aspirations up there. I mean, they're few and far between, right? We had Steve Jobs, he was phenomenal. Jeff Bezos is phenomenal. I think Elon Musk falls in that same category. I think these are people who really do truly change the world. And he's a young guy, seems relatively healthy. And so, as long as that's the case, I mean, this is far beyond Tesla. I mean, I think that's the, that's really the neat thing about Tesla as an investment, is just thinking about what can be born mm-hmm. from this one company. I'm going to come back to George Costanza in a second, but I got to say a word about Green Chef. Um, two two of the more popular New Year's resolutions: saving money and getting healthier. And you can do that with Green Chef. Their USDA certified organic meal kits make it easy to cook healthy and feel great about where your food comes from. Uh, last night, uh, I made lemon herb salmon orzo. You made? I made. Now Delicious. I don't. I don't have. So now, if we reach out to Mrs. Hill, she's going to corroborate this. <laughs> she she ate it all, depending on how good it was. No, 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 no. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I had some help in the kitchen, but I, I will say I was more hands on in the making of this meal than I normally am. And 
to your point, Jason, I don't have your skill in the kitchen. And one of the things I like about Green Chef is this is for people like me. It makes it seem like you do. It makes it seem, well, yeah. It's like everything. It's it's it, these these are, these kits are phenomenal. Um, the Costanza point is, go to serve the meal, and uh, I put it down. I put the you know the the salmon over the orzo in front of my high school senior, <laughs> and she goes, "What's this?" And I'm like, "Well, this is dinner." And she goes, and she was dead serious, not a touch of sarcasm in her voice. She goes. This looks so professional, <laughs> and I wanted to just pull like a stance and be like, "I'm out." Mic drop. I'm, I'm, leave him on night. top. Leave, leave him on top. It's like, thanks. All right, have a good meal, everybody. I'm out of here. Uh, Green Chef delivers everything you need to cook amazing dinners and impress someone in your life. Because really, at the end of the day, uh, that's not a bad thing. You can choose the plan that's right for you. They have options like gluten free. Speaking of gluten, uh, vegan, paleo, um, everything delivered to your door. Uh, organic ingredients. They're pre-chopped. They're pre-measured, and step-by-step step recipe instructions with photographs. Which can we just can can we get everyone on board with the photographs? They're so much more helpful. Uh, go to greenchef.com/fool and you get fifty dollars off today. Uh, that's greenchef.com/fool. Check it out and make Green Chef the resolution that sticks in 2017. Uh, speaking of resolutions, uh, or just 2017 in general, one thought as we kick off the new year, take it in any direction you want, Jason. It could be a stock to watch. It could be advice for investors. It could be something you're wondering about. One thought. So, I, I mean, I always like to leave people with investable ideas. And I mean, I on, on my Twitter feed, people will have seen, I, it took place in Investor Places, uh, Best Stock of 2016 contest last year. I finished runner up. Unfortunately, I didn't win the whole thing. Um, but get, I'll take a second. Do you get something for that, or just the just, just the glory? Just just the pride and the glory and, nice. and the satisfaction of knowing I picked a good company. I went with LA May mm-hmm. and then finished up 39 percent for the year. Uh, beat the market soundly. Uh, Charles Sizemore won uh, with an energy play. Really came on strong at the end of the year. But this this year I'm going. I was invited to participate again, going with. TripAdvisor this year because I feel like that is one I've talked about before, just with instant booking gaining traction. Um, so, so there's an idea, at least a stock idea. But something I was thinking about over the weekend, um, been out of the office for the past week, and, and for 2017, I, I think I, I would like to see investors, if you're just getting into investing or if you've been in it for a while, as you approach 2017 as an investor, once you come up with a stock idea and you want to buy it. You you make that purchase and then you cannot buy it again for the rest of the year. No matter what, you got to buy something different. And and I like this because ultimately it does two things: that it makes you buy with conviction. You really think before you click the buy button, and then it automatically sort of helps helps diversify you along the way. And it's a little rule of thumb I use with my girls in their portfolios: once we buy one stock, they can't buy it again. The next one has to be a different one. And the whole idea is there to diversify and then make sure. When they actually make that buy, that it's one they really want to buy, and and I think it's just a nice way to sort of give yourself the, that little extra check, that little extra sanity check to make sure this is something you want to commit to, um, and and then again, you divide, you diversify yourself along the way, and you can you can continue this behavior on obviously well past uh, 2017 on and through the rest of your investing life. Taylor, um, putting my oil hat on and talking about. The new administration. I can't remember an administration as weighted heavily towards one sector of the economy as this one with um, fossil fuels. Rick Perry from Texas, head of the Department of Energy. Scott Pruitt, head of the EPA from Oklahoma. 
Wilbur Ross, Commerce Secretary, Majority Shareholder of Exco Resources, a natural gas producer, also a major debt holder of Brightburn Energy, and then obviously Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State, um, still CEO and, and Chairman of ExxonMobil, but will be stepping down once he takes the role of Secretary of State. Um, so I'm just looking at this industry that's been in flux for the last couple of years, and and we've got an administration that's leaning very heavily towards pro fossil fuels and uh, looking for a recovery in, in the broad sector. And I think investors could be buying on weakness for the next couple of years. Thanks for being here, guys. Yep. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.